friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are joined by the Future Diaries crew, and we're going to cut to that interview right after I shill to you guys about our socials and stuff. Remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, and you can submit a prompt and we'll do it probably, unless it's kind of gross or creepy, but we haven't had any of those yet. So that's a good thing. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are over at Let's World Build on Twitter. If you want to come join our Discord, or if you're feeling particularly generous and want to give us money, you can do so on Patreon with a link for our Discord and Patreon in the description of the show. Enough of the shilling onto the interview. Cut to future me. Hello, and we are joined uh, by the Future Diaries crew, uh, real life humans that you may know as Antonis, Mike, and Caitlin. So folks, so glad to have you on. And if you don't mind, could you explain to us and our listeners uh, who you are and what it is you do? Sure, so we are the Future Diaries crew. Hi, this is Mike. And uh, if you've heard our uh, podcast before, you've heard that we each come from a, a different part of the multiverse on the show. And we yeah, live on kind of in parallel Earths and uh, where things have turned out differently in terms of uh, ecology and people's relationship to the natural environment. And so on the podcast, what we're doing is uh, interviewing storytellers from around the multiverse and talking to them about how things are going in their universe. And some of them are from parallel Earths. Some of them are from other planets. Some of them come from, uh, I don't know, we, we had one guest who was just from a, a narrative universe where everything was made of like stories and meaning and discourses and all these things. So uh, we've had a lot of different guests on and it's, uh, yeah, that, that's the basic uh, premise of the show though. Yeah, I highly recommend you listen to a podcast for uh, understanding how it works, <laughs> if I may say so myself. But yeah, um, for convenience, we kept our uh, real names also in our imaginary characters. And like Mike said, we, we try to explore how life might be from different parallel universes in different um, positions in place and over time. Through that, we try to explore different sociopolitical issues, different, um, not just climate change, but different power structures, different uh, things that influence life in general. And we try to keep it from a fictional narrative, so relevant to world building, as is the title of this podcast as well. Um, but <laughs> always try to explore different narratives from real life into the fictional world. Yeah, I, I'm Caitlin, and um, I wanted to say this actually came out of a project that was um, actually funded by the city of Berlin, where they were um, calling for creative uh, responses to the issue of climate change. And so there were people who had um, created like uh, dance movement pieces, and all of this was happening over Zoom because it was early on in the pandemic, and um, just all all kinds of um, ways of imagining alternate futures. And um, this was ours. It was imagining um, future stories. And from that came Future Diaries. Yeah, I, I think that's really exciting. And I think to get a really good idea of what your podcast is really all about. So we're going to throw to a clip from your most recent episode as of this recording called After They've Gone. And we're going to roll to that now. Finally, 
I could touch the stones of their bridges and walk in their cathedrals. I landed in what humans used to call Europe, walking through cities and towns, now abandoned and overgrown. There was beauty in desolation. Other species have reclaimed human spaces, even though humans have only been gone a couple hundred years. The land still bore signs of their presence, but animals and plants reigned now in the ruins. Could humans have imagined how fast their legacy would disappear after they were gone? I walked in their steps through forests and mountains, not knowing whether what I wanted to see with my own eyes was still there. I've always been fascinated by the Gothic cathedrals humans built. They perfectly reflect this desire to rise higher than ever before, to tame the wild and bring symmetry into the chaos. And we're back because editing is magic. I just want to say that one of the things that I really love about your podcast is the way that you tend to take different disparate voices. Like, like you've said before, you know, whether they be humans on alternate earths or alien observers and everything else that you might see in science fiction. And you blend it seamlessly into a really fun interview format as well. I really do want to point out how unique and interesting that format is. Well, yeah, thanks. The, the podcast was kind of the, it was a, it was a collective project to come up with the format. And, uh, you know, we come from different, we came from different backgrounds in terms of what we were interested in and the podcast that we wanted to put together. So Caitlin uh, explained a little bit about how uh, we came together as part of the storytelling collective that was funded by the city of Berlin. And partly what I wanted to do with the podcast was just interview other storytellers from the collective as a way to feature their stories. And it was just going to be, you know, we didn't have this, uh, you know, kind of science fiction setting where all of us as interview as interviewers were, were from different parts of the multiverse, but we we're just going to talk to different people about the stories that they were writing. Yeah, I don't know, Antonis, if you could explain a little bit about the perspective that you came from that kind of mashed up with that. And yeah. then, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, like Mike said, uh, his idea was to interview people about uh, more or less the same uh, social and environmental issues that we're exploring in the existing podcast. Um, but uh, Mike's idea was to to stay on the interviews and produce a podcast out of that. Uh, I came from a different <laughs> universe, so to speak. So <laughs> my my idea was um, inspired by the War of the Worlds and the radio show that was done by Orson Welles several decades ago. Um, mm -hmm. What he did is basically he read a dramatized version of um, of the novel on radio, and it was so believable, it was so impressive that people just ran amok because <laughs> they, they thought it's a real thing happening. So I was very, very much inspired by that story, and for years I was thinking uh, to to produce a, a a narrative only, a fiction and drama only podcast, trying to achieve the same situation. So uh, through this project that Caitlin mentioned. Uh, Mike and I came together and we say, hey, I have an idea for a podcast. Oh, you know, so do I. So from the two completely different ideas, we decided, wait a minute, how, what if we combine the two ideas and produce a fictional podcast that includes a very, very fictional story, but also followed by interviews. And in the beginning, the idea was to have the completely fictional part of the podcast followed by interviews of real people in 2021. Was it 2020 already back then or 2021? 2030, I think, was the... Twi the, the 2030 was, the... was a story 
uh, right. environment. But I think uh, our initial idea was to continue with interviews of real people from this universe. And then right. we, we, we kept brainstorming, we kept um, uh, throwing different ideas around and realized it, it would be more, I don't know, more, more effective, more impactful if we have an entire podcast fully uh, fictional because it would give us the freedom to explore these ideas further. So then we said, all right, we're going to invite real people for interviews and it's going to be them that are providing the stories as well since the workshop that we are participating in where, uh, and, and this uh, podcast stems from uh, also invites other people to create their own artifacts. Uh, so we already have an array of stories to, uh, to include in our podcast. So let's use that, but also continue on that narrative and have them play their own characters and interview them as characters of their stories instead of as the individuals that they are in real life. So yeah, we kept brainstorming on the different ideas and we built what, what you know as Future Diaries now. I, I was wondering too, if you could, uh, I mean, it's, it's worth talking a little bit about our different perspectives too, uh, as we approach issues like uh, climate change and ecological collapse and things like this. Mm -hmm. So Antonis worked on a project called uh, Camp Collapse in Berlin. And that was something I was wondering if you could uh, tell people a little bit about as well. The upshot in terms of what it relates to, how it relates to the podcast is that uh, I tend to be a bit more optimistic uh, in terms of our ability to deal with climate change. And I'm a bit more of a technological optimist uh, at the same time, I feel like that's kind of, it's more of a pragmatic approach, which is that I don't have super high confidence necessarily that as humanity collectively, we're going to get our act together and deal with climate change. Mm -hmm. But if we are going to do something about it, I think it's going to come from more positive thinking and feeling like, you know, what are the solutions? How can we actually do this? And so that's part of what I want in the stories that I like to choose and highlight and feature and sometimes even write. And in the interview scripts that I write, that's something I'm always trying to highlight is uh, maybe more of a, an optimist's view and what can we actually do and how could people who are listening act. And Antonis comes from a bit of a different perspective with Camp Collapse. So I don't know if you wanted mm. to explain that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that it, it, it is on the opposite end. So Camp Collapse is not pessimistic, so to speak. But it's inspired by the uh, concept of deep adaptation. So there is optimism in the sense that um, there is hope that we can deal with the situation and we can overcome it. But I should say <laughs> not necessarily overcome it, but the idea behind deep adaptation is to accept that uh, there will be a crisis instead of... Um, believing that they will, will can completely avoid all that. So accepting that crisis is a real possibility and working with it, working around it. So we're optimistic that we will survive, but in a different kind of environment. And uh, it's the COP26 right now, and you see the same storyline repeated. It's pretty obvious, if it wasn't obvious in all the previous iterations, it's pretty obvious that uh, governments influenced by big companies and all that uh, socio-political environment, they're not willing to take drastic action. Mm -hmm. They just want to keep the um, business as usual. So obviously with that uh, mindset, we cannot save ourselves from the inevitable collapse. <laughs> but uh, we have this optimism income collapse that we can learn to live with the outcomes of this um, situation. Because it's, it's, we believe it's, it's too late to completely avert 
the, the effects of climate change. It's just that we are optimistic about dealing with it in a realistic scenario. I have two quick questions to interject here. One, how is how did Caitlin get hooked up with you guys? Was she also part of the Story Collective? And two, um, along the lines of discussing like ecological collapse um, in science fiction, I'm curious about each of your individual personal relationships with the genre and what really got you interested in science fiction in particular um, before you even got into the podcast. Um, so I started as a guest and um, I got connected with Mike and Antonis through um, their friend, Chris, through Antonis's friend, Christian, who was gathering stories for his um, thesis in anthropology about how are people dealing psychologically with imminent climate change. And um, I saw this call for stories in a Facebook group having to do with climate change. I was obviously there because of my mental state. And um, I am a writer by profession, but I found that in my own life, I'm not doing a lot of writing. And I thought this would be a good push for me to write fiction and it would be catharsis. And it ended up just being this amazing, I want to say snowball, but that usually has like a negative connotation, but it was the snowball into all these great things because, you know, I responded to Christian. I responded to a call for um, meeting up on Zoom with participants to talk about our experience of writing the stories and to um, to sort of interview for more material for his thesis. I ended up being the only one who came because of the uh, extreme time zone difference because he was in um, Switzerland or Berlin, um, I think originally from Switzerland and in Berlin. And so people um, had the wrong time and we ended up having this great long conversation and um, yeah, he connected me to Mike. And obviously that story I wrote became the basis for the episode I was on. And I was imagining a 2030 um, in a, a world just like ours, um, just exactly how I imagine it to be um, people caring, but not in the right ways. And basically I, I'm not a world builder myself and have really tried to push myself through this project to be more of a deep sci-fi world builder, but I was really just venting with that story. <laughs> and, um, and, and so on the subject of sci-fi and my interest in it, I grew up interested in it, um, watching uh, Twilight Zone and was really interested in the um, moral parables that are available from the genre. And I guess like being probably a, a worried kid, I was just interested in, in stories like that about like adults missing the obvious or one person noticing like, hey, that comet is hurtling towards earth. And that's obviously how it feels like sometimes living in this present that hasn't been um, fictionalized at all, um, but can feel stranger than fiction. And so it, it is real. So you can hear that I'm, I'm kind of the chicken little of the group. Um, and I don't feel good about humanity's prospects, but I definitely feel better about it when I get on to um, Iris, not Zancaster, with Mike and Antonis and hear their perspectives because of Mike being this um, sort of solar punk and techno optimist and doing great work, doing great graduate work as well in this area. And Antonis um, didn't speak about this. Um, was too modest to say that he has been a big longtime advocate of UBI and speaks about it at um, mm -hmm. conferences and is making a very big difference there. UBI is something that everyone should be in support of, by the way, which is 
uh, mind you, this is universal basic income, correct? Yes. Okay. I want to make sure that we're talking about the right acronym here, because if it was something that I was (laughs) very much opposed to, I imagine that we'd have a different conversation here, but yeah, no, UBI (laughs) is like the most, uh, basic realistic thing that I think, uh, Mike can probably agree with too. If he's somewhat of an optimist, I think it's something that is, will be an inevitability anyway. It certainly makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. uh, Antonis is certainly the one who's done the the most thinking and advocacy on on this front from from our group. So yeah, there's there's yep. a whole conversation out there, and I think that we've even been floating ideas around for how to work in some issues like this into our second season. So it's certainly mm-hmm. something we're thinking actively about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I I have been an activist for basic income and pretty much narrowing down all my volunteering to this one cause for the past decade. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I not only believe that basic income is pretty much an inevitable policy for the future, but I also believe it's, uh, as far as policies go, it's pretty much our only hope mm-hmm. to survive uh, from, from a socioeconomical point of view. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm also interested in the process of creating the episodes. Um, and, I, you know, you have your guests and you interview them and they also have a kind of a monologue that explains their fictional origin. What goes into the process of creating an episode um, between the three of you? It's very structured. We, we try to expectations set very clearly um, very early on and um, have this great info pack that um, Mike put together um, that we uh you know, tell people you're going to submit a story. We're going to work with you on the story. We're going to um, finesse it and make sure that it's also tying into um, aspects that we've already established in the narrative. This is something Antonis has been really big on and really great about is finding those Easter eggs and those threads to tie all the episodes together. And we've actually, I think we've managed in every episode to introduce one new piece of technology and that's been um, kind of a, a goal of ours. And um, so we, the story part, you know, the writing, some of them in the, in the beginning, they were already ready to go because these were people we were um, poaching from that R2030 project. And then more recently, it's just been, you know, asking friends and friends of friends and um, people are so thrilled to be part of it. And that enthusiasm is so touching to see. And then the even the interview part is scripted and that's something that everyone works on together on the google doc the basic the basic process kind of how it looks is we'll 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 find a story we'll identify a story as as Kaylin was explaining whether that's from a friend of a friend or somebody in our network or sometimes we have a portal as well and so people can sub- actually submit stories there but uh, we'll we'll work through uh we'll find a story that we want to feature and then we'll work with the author of that story to continue to refine it. And so even on the script of the story so that it we, we can kind of fit it into what we're seeing for the podcast. And some of that's just in terms of the length of the story. Sometimes we try to keep them, you know, to a certain length and they're going to be read out loud. Uh, part of that is to we have a pretty open universe or world building because we have a multiverse. We can kind of accommodate just about anything mm-hmm. that uh, we're working with because we can just say, oh, well, this is how things are in, in their universe. Uh, but then when we get to the uh, interview part, that's, yeah, as, as Caitlin was explaining, that's that's all scripted as well. And so after we've kind of got the story in a pretty good spot, we work through and uh, script out the entire first part of the episode as well as the interview portion of the episode, just so that we can make sure that we're asking good questions and the um, responses are consistent and internally consistent with the universes or multiverses that we're talking about on that particular episode. 
but we realized we tried to, we actually tried to record the first episode without a script and it, it really didn't work very well. And so we've, we've kind of stuck with this format of having a fully scripted podcast and that's worked pretty well. It, it, I feel like our voice acting has gotten better over the course of the, <laughs> you know, the, the time that we've been doing the, the <laughs> podcast. And, and so that's, that's something we continue to work on. And it's a little bit hard working from a script because sometimes it can feel a little bit artificial, but I feel like we're getting better both at writing the scripts, how we actually speak, and then speaking as we have, you know, speaking more interestingly based on, you know, what we've put in the scripts. Yeah, in, in the end, the, this podcast is uh, one of the many vehicles we're using for our own self-development. We're getting better at expressing our ideas through fiction. We're getting better at writing this fiction. We're getting better at acting out, uh, doing the post-production, uh, developing the, the whole podcast as a as a concept with all the practicalities that it entails. So practice makes perfect, I guess. And we, the second season, which we, we're, it's, it's amazing if you think about it, but um, we're almost a year into that. We're close to finishing an entire season and we've never met in person, which is, uh, <laughs> I guess it's telling of the times that we're living in, mm -hmm. but also it's like the fact that we managed to like to feel close enough to one another to work together on a, uh, on a challenging project is it's just amazing so that's one of the one of the reasons that i am optimistic about the future is that uh, we can make some a, a small project as a podcast work so we can make more challenging things as well mm. mm -hmm. I wanted to I wanted to go back to a question Daniel asked, but that I uh, I didn't get a chance to answer, and I don't know if anybody else wanted to as well around how I came into science fiction writing. This is this is very much out of my wheelhouse, uh, and this in terms of actually writing. Uh, and I I've always been much more into consuming nonfiction. Uh, I, I consume a little bit of fiction, but not a ton. And uh, so th this was this was something that was very new for me, but it was also sort of this COVID nineteen pandemic lockdown project as a way to try to just get out of this very insular space that I was in and connect to people really across the world. And that was hugely uh, therapeutic, cathartic. I, I don't know what the right word is to, to describe it, but it was super helpful for me personally in terms of my uh, mental health and creativity and just on so many levels at a really difficult time as we started putting this podcast together. And uh, my sort of background and interest in science fiction, I was really interested in like Star Trek, the next generation is something that I grew up with and just absolutely loved and was really inspired by a lot of the uh, utopian, I guess, uh, elements of the the next generation. It's not to say that everything's perfect out there in, in their universe. And I'm, I recently just watched the show again. And it's not to say that there aren't problems with the way that it represents things and that it doesn't reflect, you know, the 80s and 90s that uh, I grew up in and, and kind of in ways that are a bit uncomfortable looking back at 30 years later. I'm, I'm not denying any of that, but it was more just the the project of Star Trek and thinking about a world, uh, a universe where people didn't have to work in some, you know, capitalist system necessarily to support themselves through wages that they earn so that they can eat. But what are the types of projects that people would engage in if they had something like uh, where income wasn't needed, for example? But anyway, uh, Mike said two things that I want to comment on. One is that the economy of Star Trek is what I might find the most intriguing about this universe because it's the closest thing in fiction and the most well-developed thing that we have in fiction 
um, in relation to basic income as a real-life policy here on this planet Earth. So that's one thing that I, I feel should be explored more in fiction as well as in real life. Uh, but having it explored in fiction is, is something that... Um, helps you avoid like taking risks that you would be taking in real life without first simulating them through um, through an imaginary universe so you you are free to creatively explore the different elements that make it work or not work before engaging into it in real life although when it comes to basic income we also have like a lot of real life proof that it it actually mm -hmm. works even better than mm -hmm. we've imagine so that, that's one thing that mike mentioned that i wanted to reiterate on the other thing is about um how creativity can help deal with different mental health issues i think one of the silver linings of this pandemic is that it um it revealed the importance of mental health and destigmatized uh feeling the need to take care of your mental health and feeling it threatened as something normal like we all experience. So engaging to creative activities can really help through expressing your deepest thoughts and exploring them and developing them into um, different routes and different directions. It can really help to take off the, the, the burden from, from inside. So I think it, it was also a vehicle for this podcast and the creative work that we put into this podcast have, has also been a tremendous help for my mental health. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've been, mm -hmm. I, I can share it openly. I've been through three different waves of depression during the mm -hmm. whole uh, lockdown period and uh, all the different limitations that we've been having as a result of uh, uh, having to deal with the, the very real danger of uh, the global pandemic. So having Future Diaries as uh, probably the most important creative activity that I'm doing in the past uh, year has really been a tremendous help. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful for being given this opportunity for this appearing completely inadvertently and then continuing to a very, very determined project that we're doing together with my colleagues here. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to the uh, mental health aspect, especially over the past you know year and a half or so. And I, I remember one of your episodes, I think it's actually one with like an alternate version of you um, where you talk about just being stuck inside all the time and like not even wanting to make art. You're just bored all the time. And um, that felt very, very topical for uh, for things right now. Yeah, that was the second episode. It was mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> describing the story of an alter ego of me living in, um, in a colony in former Siberia. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was expressing basically the things that I was feeling internally, uh, but in a in a fictional environment. So I was like, how 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 much worse could this get? Let's <laughs> let's explore that and let that out. <laughs> so it got pretty dark. Yeah, it's you can you can really see in those first three episodes they're fairly thinly veiled introductions to the three of us as people. You can learn a lot about mm -hmm. each of us from you know <laughs> listening to those three episodes. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, really the theme and like the, I guess the mission or the broader scope of what we're trying to do on Future Diaries, the thing that inspires me to continue to work on it is really something that we picked up from the Storytelling Collective, uh, our 2030 that we worked on together. And that is that storytelling has the ability to both shape the present and also shape the future. And that 
as we thought about how it relates to the multiverse, you know, if you think of things like string theory and think about this idea of, you know, there, you know, the universe is constantly splitting in all these different directions and there are all these different, you know, possibilities out there and universes that actually exist all the time. Kind of what we were thinking about is if you could broadcast, you know, backwards in time back into the multiverse, you could actually improve the world around you by inspiring people farther back in the timelines to improve the world around them. And you would see the material effects in your own universe as people continued to work to improve their universes. And it's that it turns out like I think that's, you know, to the extent that you accept something like a multiverse as actual reality, which I don't know, there's theoretical, there's plenty of good theory to suggest that that may very well be the way that things work in our existence. And to the extent that you accept that, then why wouldn't you try to build a better world around you now and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to help create better futures for other people? And at the same time, in very real practical ways, as we've been talking about, this has been something that's been a boon for my mental health and really helped me through the pandemic. And Donis was just talking about the way that it helped affected, uh, helped to, you know, help him deal with uh, difficult times through the pandemic this this creative process itself is very real and very tangible even within our own universe right here and right now and so both in the uh, from the science fiction perspective but also from the actual lived reality perspective storytelling is this really powerful uh tool for uh creating new possibilities and new realities and that's something that we really try to lean into on the podcast and some of the stories we've told have come true and, and that's been really amazing to see. Like um, one of our guests, Francisca, um, wrote about the aqua agriculture, the ag- aquaculture. This was a, a word we struggled with a lot, but it was um, it was also, um, I believe, graduate work she was doing. And um, now she's doing it and and she's doing this I, I, um, aquatic farming um, technique and um, that's supposed to be, you know, less burdensome to the ecosystem. And it's just amazing because that was the premise of our 2030 um, as activism. This idea of if you can see it, you can be it. And that really science fiction historically has preceded a lot of um, human advancement that there were, you know, Al Feldstein comics about going to space before we ever went to space. And um, Mike's story actually came true. Um, the cross-country trip in the EV he achieved. Yeah, so we recently got an electric vehicle and took our annual trip to Maine. And it wasn't exactly the same thing as the story that uh, went on, or like the exact details of the story. But that trip to Maine is something that we do every year. And I was trying to imagine what that would look like in 2030. And, you know, in some ways, that's, uh, that's, that's already a reality. Uh, I kind of hope my story will not come true, but uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> I, I do want to uh, talk to you a little bit. I want to broaden the topic just a little bit because one of the things that I find about science fiction that I find really fascinating is that it's often like a meditation uh, or like in, it's what we find fascinating about what will destroy us, right? Like you see this through all the different eras in science fiction, whether it be through our obsession with nuclear power or our obsession with space in the 50s and 60s, 
or you see the rise of cyberpunk in the 1980s. And your podcast often deals a lot with what is on everyone's mind, well, most people's mind, which is a lot of it has to do with climate change. And I, I'm rather curious as to what you guys think about the differences and the similarities of these different eras throughout science fiction. I, I think about this just as a consumer of science fiction. I feel like there's a dearth of it sometimes because I feel like people in general have moved past it. And you, you see this resurgence um, with Blade Runner and, and Dune and everything. But I feel like like Dune, for example, is more veering on the fantasy side, like that's capturing people who are also interested in Star Wars, which is set in space, but is more now I'm like proselytizing. But I, I thought I've thought for a long time that um that because we are living it and we're, you know, able to podcast right now, that people have lost their enthusiasm for science fiction. And I've wondered what the new science fiction will look like. And I think, um, you know, and as we, you know, approach the singularity and everything, like what is so scary about the movie Ex Machina anymore? And I I think it is um, more like the books that we read in middle school or that I read in middle school, <laughs> that um, I'm 27, that, um, that, that have to do with survival. I mean, and I guess that, mm -hmm. you know, going back to your um, initial question, it really does all come down to survival. The the things that humanity has always faced um, and this sort of morbid fascination with peering into peering into space, peering into eternity. Um, but I think it will take on the face of what do you do when your own planet becomes a foreign planet? Mm. Mm -hmm. I think it also has something to do with what Antonis was saying earlier, where it's like, you're kind of trying with, when he was commenting on Star Trek, you know, you're trying to map out what the future might look like. And in this case, it's like, okay, we have global climate change. We have advanced AI. What will that look like? How can we prepare for it? And you do that through fiction and narratives, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that's, that's one aspect. The fact that you, you have the freedom to explore that on a fictional perspective. But I, what I find interesting is that the, the narrative may, may be fictional, but the, the feelings are real. Mm. So you're expressing... Mm -hmm. real kinds of uh, reservations, insecurities, and uh, challenges that you're facing as a, as a human. It's just that you're creating a fictional narrative to explore them further, to let them develop further into either positive or negative uh, iterations of them. And uh, it's, 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 it is cathartic in the way that you deal or are not able to deal with it. It's the freedom to explore a real situation I was about to say, like, oftentimes the goal of science fiction is not to really talk about the future, but to talk about now, um, mm -hmm. you know, under the apparatus of this kind of futuristic setting. That's really what your what your podcast is doing, I think, in that you, you, you had some situations actually come out to be real, even though you didn't intend them to. And it's because part of it is a commentary on now. I, I was just going to add and kind of in response to what everyone's saying here is that I think science fiction is unavoidably always already about present struggles. And so mm -hmm. how how science fiction relates to things that people are currently processing in popular culture or in society, I don't I think it's inescapably about current problems. And so I think just leaning into understanding that essentially this creative process is one of the ways that we process how 
how do we deal with uh, the fears and anxieties that we have now? And yeah, it's thinking about the future, but we're actually processing what's going on right now. And uh, I think that's reflected in if you look at the way that science fiction is always a product of its time, you can see right into the you know struggles or concerns or the zeitgeist of any era by looking at the science fiction that's produced in that era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you read Asimov, Arthur Clarke, and all the, the great uh, authors of science fiction, you see relevant problems that appeared from emerging um, concepts, be that technologies or ideas uh, related to the sociopolitical environment from their times. It's just that these are explored through a fictional narrative. So that's the, yeah, it's, it's always a good mirror or a black mirror. Yeah, and yeah, no, something else. Yeah. And another thing to remember, and this is a little bit scary as somebody who now is writing science fiction, which again, that sounds so weird to me to say, because I never in a million years would have ever thought I would do something like this. But it, it's also a reminder that the other things that are going to be reflected in this are a lot of the problematic ideas that exist in our society still and that when we look back in 20 or 30 years at what we produced you know in at, at this time we're going to cringe at how uh you know uh, tone deaf it sounds and how we just really failed to deal in a meaningful way with real problems but mm. you know we, we we do what we can and we remember that we are reflecting current societal trends and current society and that our own current biases are going to show through when we look back at them from a future vantage point. By that, uh, by that stretch, would you argue then that all science fiction is inherently hopeful, whether it be as a warning to or a guidebook to a better future? I'd like to um, hope that it can be, but I, I don't know. I think that's yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> you say yes. All right. <laughs> I, 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 I'm reluctant to say yes because I think it it gives it a role that it doesn't necessarily have from the perspective of the authors. I think mm. the authors are usually just like in in every form of art, they're just trying to express something internal that they have, not necessarily to uh, give a lesson or to to attach any kind of purpose other than art for the sake of art, like Oscar Wilde used to say. So they're just trying to express something internal, not necessarily to, to, to make it like, a, like, like what you described. I think that's, that comes retroactively, and that's a beautiful thing, but it comes from our interpretation of, yeah. uh, as audience, not necessarily part of the uh, purpose of the author. You're right, and then we can get into the, the death of the author, you know, when it comes to science fiction or genre, as a whole, right? Like, does, is that is that where death of the author even begins is when we put it into specific genres, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. Well, I guess, I guess that is a case where we're almost harder on science fiction authors because we, we kind of want them to be more um, dispassionate or, you know, just more correct, like just to have the right take and the, the right prediction, um, even if, that, you know, is, is that really the purpose of science fiction, like to be futurists? Um, but I, to expand on my very terse yes earlier, I think I really like this idea that something about just the act of the creation and the struggle 
and struggling against what you are presently dealing with or what you're fearing about what's wrong with society, that that is a hopeful message because it's kind of like a beacon. It's like a signal from a mm-hmm. spaceship you thought was abandoned. And I probably want to think this because that's what we're doing here. Like to think that even mm-hmm. in times that seem like like there's finality, like we have, um, you know, year timelines and a, a short, um, short-term perspective on how bad things could get, the fact that we're still making things, that is the human triumph. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to good. I'd like to do to, to continue on that thought because I, I agree with Caitlin. But I also see that um it is a struggle that we as uh, amateur science fiction writers are facing. It's like the 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 main challenge that we we're facing is how do we become better uh, writers in the sense of um, um, connecting and engaging better with our audience without being preachy and pretending that uh, we know best because mm-hmm. we are seeing the negatives of one thing now. So mm-hmm. we have a belief in a specific policy or train of thought and we mm-hmm. pose that as the, uh, as the solution to everything, even, even if we're uh, wrong. So <laughs> we, it's, it's, a, it's a real struggle for us to avoid putting a purpose that we may have, but we also don't want to to to, to put there in a way that is pushy. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe Mike can express that a bit uh, better because we, we constantly have this back and forth internally. <laughs> yeah, it's on the one hand, I, I, I previously talked a bit about the mission of what it is we're trying to do with the podcast and creating better presence and better futures. And it is a struggle because you don't know any better. And in some ways, we're setting ourselves up even more for that uh, problematic retrospective in 20 or 30 years because we're pretending that we're actually from the future and that we were these like wise, you know, like, you know, well-informed, I don't know, observers of the human condition across the multiverse. And this is actually a theme we also hope to explore in the second season is to delve more into the universes that each of our uh, characters as hosts lives in and to talk more about the problems that exist in each of those universes rather than to say, oh yeah, you know, we've got everything figured out and everything's perfect in our universe, uh, to delve into what's still problematic. What are the even struggles that we face, you know, sociopolitically and ecologically in the universes that we live in? Cause I think that, you know, sustainability is a big theme on our podcast, uh, environmental sustainability. But sustainability, like uh, other big concepts like justice, it's not a destination, but a process. And it's it's never uh, something that you're necessarily going to achieve, I don't think, but more mm-hmm. something you're going to have to constantly reevaluate. It's this ongoing process of learning more and more about the world and more and more about the side effects of and byproducts of uh, different ways that we intervene in the universe and in the, the world that we live in. And just constantly trying to be attentive to that and, yeah, make the world better. I don't know. I think those are really great points. And especially the idea of, you know, having a solution in mind. Um, It's almost expected. Like if you're in a debate with somebody and you say that something is wrong, they will automatically ask, well, how do you want to fix it? But often we just don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a totally valid kind of perspective to have and um, can be helpful, too, to just toss out what is wrong and maybe potentially directions that we could go in but 
realistically, there's no way to know the solution until we've basically gotten there in a way. Right. And those are the interesting conversations, I think. That's where the conversation mm -hmm. starts is, okay, so here are some of the problems, but what do we do now? And mm -hmm. you know, we have different ways of evaluating what, you know, kind of some solutions are that are better than others or that might help us achieve a particular goal faster or uh, more efficiently than, than other paths. But yeah, that's ultimately that's the political process too, is trying to get other people on board with the vision of the future and of society that you have mm -hmm. that you hope other people do too. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I, uh, when I was listening to your podcast, I thought it would be great to interview you guys is because oftentimes in um, media, we're seeing, you know, on the big screen, um, even, you know, in texts that are being published right now, they're a few years behind the climate of, of the writing. And so oftentimes what we're seeing on the big screen is this very negative, you know, still cyberpunk view of the world uh, that's not as utopian as what we had in the 90s with Trek and all of that. And your podcast is one of the few things doing that, a utopian view of the future, even if it has a little moralistic angle. Um, so that's why I thought it was great to talk to you guys. Yeah, we just that as uh, even though on the podcast we do try to cover at least some optimistic universes. Uh, a lot of the ones that a lot of the people that we interview and the stories that we hear are also pretty dystopian. Uh, and ultimately, the act of creating the podcast, we hope, can inspire people in our universe and in others to, uh, I don't know, take some action and avoid some of the problems that the guests that we have on the show have encountered. But I mean, we, we can't actually predict the future. We don't know how things are going to turn out. But uh, yeah, I, th I think that's part of. I think that's I think that's part of what we're up to. Mm. Name well, of Star Trek. <laughs> you know, uh, funny aside, uh, I was asked by my wife, you know, if you could live in any fictional world, which world would it be? And I surprised her when I said Star Trek, because I'm not really a big Star Trek guy. But I, I was like, objectively, it's the best universe to live in, like. Let's be yeah. real. If I lived in like Harry Potter world or, you know, like the Marvel universe or something like that, 99% of the time I'm going to be a regular person, mm -hmm. but in Star Trek, <laughs> I'm guaranteed to have like a, a utopic mm -hmm. life where I can pursue whatever I want. So objectively, it's just the best option to go with for the, for the normal person anyway. I mean, now I have to bring it back to basic income because... <laughs> yes, exactly. It's <laughs> fundamental to Star Trek, yeah. Because it's, yeah. A, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, very practical and relatively easy way to implement, to, mm -hmm. uh, to emancipate people from what we uh, pretend to know better that uh, we should be expecting and forcing them to, uh, than just giving them the resources to cover their, their needs that they know best and fulfill their potential instead of just, uh, you know, it's there, there is this uh, quote from Star Trek that uh, says it kind of the best way uh, that they they don't have money there because their um, their purpose behind doing what they're doing is for the betterment of society, not for um, establishing the bare minimum to survive. So. That is a desired universe, no matter what uh, what planet it may be in or uh, what kind of context. I believe the practicalities of um, putting that policy in place is a universe that I really want to be living in. And I'm doing a lot of uh, practical work to make sure that we get there somehow. You're, are you a fan of um, 
Uh, Rutger, Rutger Bregman then? I'm assuming you, you know his stuff? Yeah, yeah, we talked. <laughs> oh, really? That's awesome. Yes, yes, I, yes. I just, I just finished Utopia for Realists earlier this year, and I'm like, oh, this is, he, he knows this yeah. guy. I already yeah, know yeah. yeah. You should definitely read his other book, uh, The Humankind. Oh, my God. It's, such, it's, it's a beacon of optimism <laughs> based on uh, real history. It's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Well, that's going on the list. So, yep. uh, The Humankind. Uh, yeah, I think that's the, the full title of it. It's Humankind, a better history of our uh, something. But yeah, yeah, Humankind is the title of the book. All right. Okay. We're, we're, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, exactly. That's on the list now. That's on the stack. <laughs> uh, so we're at the point where we're going to pivot into our world building jam session. Uh, I'm not going to ask if anyone's ready because no one is ever ready for this. So first things first, we've got to roll a genre where we're going to base our kind of fictional scenario in. And the genre that we're going to be working with is sword and sorcery. So nice. we've got a sword and sorcery <laughs> Excellent. Uh, genre. The theme that we're going to be working with here is going to be uh, secrets. Awesome. And <laughs> the first thing that we're focusing on is going to be a cataclysm. So, Ooh, right perfect. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, now, we're going to start this, and then once we get to a, a, a good stopping point, we're going to throw in a twist. So, as our guests, we have you to start us off with our sword and sorcery uh, themed around secrets and focusing on a cataclysm. So whoever wants to start us off, by all means. Well, first of all, I, can, okay. uh, I have to say that I, I love this because I'm a big Dungeons & Dragons fan. And yes. uh, I've also started... <laughs> after writing for Future Diaries, I also went back to facilitating uh, to be in a DM. And uh, the next thing I want to do is to, to write some stories of my own to, you know, to facilitate oh, yeah. games. And I'm also a game designer on the side, so... Yeah, you're you're, so you're amongst course. friends for sure. Yeah. I yes, I assumed that. So let's <laughs> have that. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Yeah, let's let's do it. I'm I'm imagining I'm imagining like uh, a queen and her mage who uh hmm. so the queen the queen learns uh through the mage of some uh impending doom, some cataclysm that's coming. And the secret is uh I don't know, like keeping this from their people and disclosing it at the right time. And yeah, I feel like I we need to come up with some like, character names yeah, or I think, something. No, right? yeah, I, think, uh, I think I have oh. a better secret because oh, I think there is an external challenge and an internal challenge. So the external challenge <laughs> is that she heard from her mage that there is a cataclysm coming and they should be preparing their, um, uh, I don't know, their, their dungeons to, to <laughs> secure Defenses. people from yeah, they are all, the, all the physical protections. But at the same time, like they're facing an other uh, danger from another tribe. So there is a there is a king on uh, across the um, I was about to say across the universe <laughs> across the river, like on the on the on the mountain that is far far away, and they're about to attack the castle. So she's like, "What should I be doing? Like, should I pre be preparing to survive?" Um, to survive the cataclysm that will for sure uh, basically kill all of us, including my opponent from the other side? Or should I just keep fighting the last fight and die victorious? Okay. okay. Sorry, Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> that, actually remind, that actually makes me think, 
is the queen keeping things secret in hopes that the cataclysm will take out the enemy and then wipe them out and mm-hmm. then she'll have defenses? Yeah, this is, is that like, like a, this is like a Cold War um, parable. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, absolutely, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and also, I think it's a requirement for me that this world be like medieval-ish, but like as interpreted through the seventies, so like mid-century medieval style. <laughs> Love I'm, it. I'm totally medieval. down with that. Yeah. I would also not shy away from the possibility of this kingdom being in a different universe. I mean, this is sort of yeah. sorcery after all. It's true. Exactly. It's true. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, we should know, we should think of we should think of some of the like uh, physics uh, that maybe are different in this different universe. Spelljammer. Mm. Yeah, that could that's certainly possible. I mean, I think what might also help is this idea is what is the cataclysm? We've kind of named it this nebulous mm. thing, but mm-hmm. if we make it something concrete and real, that might help us kind of it, develop things a little bit it's, more. It's an For EMF. me, it's always environmental. It's an a, EMF. A, Ooh, nice. An EMF that will take out their cell phones because this is um like modern <laughs> conveniences with like people wearing chain mail. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Uh, so it's like but, imagine, but also, imagine. but also, like their, but also, like their, I don't know, like 1970s, like uh, I don't know, bell yeah. bottoms and disco. I, I should dial it back you know. to like it will take out their their radios. Yes. Uh, so you, we you took Game of Thrones into a Fallout scenario. <laughs> nice. <laughs> or is it like a solar flare that's going to occur? That's Ooh, yes. Love it. Right. Because an EMF would have yeah. to come from an enemy. So yeah, this mm-hmm. is a natural. This is nature revolting. Okay. Yep. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, bringing it back to climate change. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's a religious, a religious element as why is nature revolting? Mm. Right. Can we also solar make flare. it personified as well? Can we make it like a walking solar flare, like an elemental that is a solar flare? Of some kind? Oh, like it broke mm. out of the sun somehow. Yeah. yeah. Like it yeah. literally crackles from the sky and starts mm-hmm. to walk across the land. Like I think that mm. is like, really cool. It's like the sun is their god, and this is like a, a corporeal manifestation of yeah. the anger of mm-hmm. their god. Yeah. Can this yeah, be a yeah, 70s musical right. then? Because it sounds certainly, like it would be a yeah. 70s musical. Yes. I certainly hope so. Yeah, let's, let's wait until the twist to see if we get a musical. <laughs> Or maybe I'm maybe it's like a I don't know like a, one of those like uh, cop movies or whatever you know I like I'm thinking cop. like the sounds the like Queen Xanadu. Mage, you know yeah <laughs> I was movie. thinking Zardoz funny enough yes Zardoz <laughs> yes yes <laughs> oh, yeah I, I, I think I oh okay go Caitlin then I'll go yeah no, no I, I think something. I I think that, yeah the, and this is an interesting thing to pull at because. You know, I said nature revolting, but that like the sun doing something weird doesn't feel quite like that. Like that feels mm. like like space feels different from nature. And mm. and so, yeah, it feels mm. more um, like epic, cataclysmic, religious. And like this thing has is an agent of some kind. And it's mad. Mm. I, I think it also mm. goes back to Antonis's point about, I don't know, like there being an internal and an external threat. I don't know this like this like this goes pretty. This fits pretty well with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. what I mentioned before was that uh, both are kind of external, but from different perspectives of external. Because there is definitely an internal secret that is um, that is moving the character forward apart from the external challenge that um, our, our princess is facing. So hear me out. Um, <laughs> All right, right. Let's hear it. So we we have the mage that figured out uh, through the palandir, or I don't know what, that there is uh, this. Uh, uh, fire element, the sun elemental about to destroy the kingdom while they're facing another uh, external danger from, from, the, from the other kingdom across the 
aisle, but there is an internal, um, an internal struggle as well. So the priest of the kingdom basically believes that this is um, the gods revolting against the kingdom because the priest knows the hidden secret of the princess. There we go. What, so the princess is, is <laughs> yes. So the princess is set up with um, with the prince from from the kingdom that is about to fight them uh, mm. to to basically calm things down. But she doesn't want to marry him because she's more into women. So mm -hmm. so, uh, okay. so the priest knows the secrets and she's like, yeah, this is definitely God will punish that. There's no way you're gonna get across like that. So either you you suck it up and you you grow up and you you marry the prince and protect our kingdom from both uh, external impending dooms or we'll just all die because of your sin. But <laughs> here's, so here's, here's I don't know, a pre-twist because I don't know if there's a <laughs> twist that's coming. It turns out that the, the elemental uh, like fire manifestation is not actually mad at the princess for like being in love with the, you know, the prince's sister uh, from the other kingdom, but that uh, the elemental is actually mad at the priest for uh, the hypocrisy of, you know, pretending that uh, he's holier than the rest of everybody else when actually he has a secret. Mm. So mm. I don't know what that is, but we could we could run with that. Maybe the well, twist would tell us that. I was going to say, Maybe. Yeah, I think that at this point we throw in the twist and see what we get. So. So the twist is they're all clones. Um, <laughs> so they kind of I don't know what that means. Oh I, I, I don't know what that means. Look, this is why it's a twist, is because right. now we have to reconcile what the fuck does that mean? Well, this well, this is the multiverse. That's what's going on here, right? So the 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 mage and conspiring with the queen actually is splitting the universe and has created this alternate universe where everyone is a clone, you know, of the previous universe. Mm. Um, as a way to that the, they can then try to escape from it gives them the opportunity to try to deal with the impending cataclysm uh, multiple times. Uh, but I think everybody's safe because if we learn anything from science fiction is that clones cannot shoot straight. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, if that's the case, then why aren't we already at peace? Like what's happening if that's the case? Uh, Palpatine, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe but, but maybe wait, they, Palpatine is they, also a clone. Oh my God! That is a yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think that they've created this uh, alternate universe where everyone else is a clone, and they're going to try to escape to it. I don't know because they know that the they know that the clones mm -hmm. can't shoot straight. That's how they're going to get out of it. They're, wait, they're, is, is this just a simulation? Yes, like they, they've they're, like they're, replicated everyone. They they have as like how people in war rooms have like the chessboard with the pieces. They're doing yes. that, but with people oh my god yeah yeah they're, they're like running simulations by like just tossing their duplicates into yeah. these scenarios war games yeah. the princess is the female equivalent of the free guy <gasps> I, I haven't seen that yet i haven't seen it but i'll, I'll accept that as real yes <laughs> um Oh man. So so wait, is this the result of some like cataclysmic spell then? Like is is the solar flare not actually a solar flare but a reset that's come to like take everyone back? It's like the universe's way of trying to like undo the magic that's been done. Oh. It's a, it's a glitch in I'm, the matrix, I guess. It's um... I'm I'm thinking a bit I'm thinking a bit of Loki actually and Ooh. the mm, yeah. trickster. 
Oh yeah. yeah. But, but also uh, like the, I'm trying to remember the name who like the, the people who come to like prune the universe to keep it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the authority, the time right? keepers. Yep. The timekeepers. Oh. There you go. Who, uh, who yeah. come to prune the universe, the timeline and keep it all together. Oh, all right. I, I feel like we've, we've settled in. We've gotten the scenario. That was a fantastic <laughs> world. We could keep going. We could sit here for another 20 minutes easily and really like drill down into certain aspects of this world. But we've got a podcast to conclude. So uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and transition over. We do have a, a question from one of our patrons. Honestly, kidding would like to know. Uh, oh, I would be interested to hear what their favorite resources are for understanding how stuff breaks down. Things like what does a nuclear reactor core look like after 5,000 years uh, without use or maintenance? He really wants to know all about the life after people stuff. Uh, I think real life is that the... That is great. <laughs> we have great patrons. Um, yeah. yeah, just want to mention that real quick. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, I th yeah. I think the there's there's a close analog on our uh, most recent episode actually in the narrative uh, portion of it, where the um, the storyteller visits uh, the uh, cathedral in Cologne hundreds of years after it's completely grown over by uh, plants and other animals have taken over. And I don't know. That's, that's the clip I that think... we're using for this episode. By yeah. The way. No. That's 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 perfect. <laughs> and I think I I think for example of uh, like Chernobyl you know, as, as, uh, as an example of this. And so like Chernobyl is also like open to tourists now. It's a little bit, um, yeah. it's a little, a little bit strange on the one hand, <laughs> yeah. but you can, you know, you can like hunt the radioactive boars and stuff like that. Right. right. Isn't that part uh, of it? That, that's right. <laughs> I've been there twice. I can tell you that this is uh, a myth. Okay. You can barely oh, wow. see the, uh, yeah, the radioactive animals, but you know, they exist and mm. it's, the, they're like normal. I mean, there are like 5,000 people still working there. So uh, as long Jeez. as you're, out of the radius, you can you can visit pretty safely, mm -hmm. and it's just I recommend the visit actually because it's um it's it really is like walking into a post-apocalyptic uh, scenario because uh, they wow. the buildings that you can walk into are left exactly as they were when they were destroyed from the uh, from the from the accident. So it's it's really you. you I I still cannot uh, take out of my memory the the image of this um, old school that is uh, that has been destroyed and there's just ruins and this image of dolls that are semi destroyed with their eyes hanging. That's oh, yeah. that's one of the most creepy images that I I kept from this experience. Mm -hmm. But I do recommend a visit. It's like it's it's not dangerous to visit Chernobyl. It's actually nice. Uh, I was I was just going to say we also have examples of you know ruins all the way from thousands of years ago that have been some mm -hmm. of them have been preserved and preserved and you can visit and there are still others that are being discovered all the time from different civilizations so I I think looking to real examples of things that we can see from the past is a is a great way to I don't know imagine what some some places might look like after they've grown over uh, after after they've gone yeah oh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah you look into existing examples of things that oh, that are a result of situations similar to what you're trying to describe and just dress them up uh, to match the narrative that you're building so it's not that difficult i think it's more difficult yeah, so to imagine how people feel uh, in this uh, in the new because the the way people 
develop and the way they experience the world around them is influenced by a variety of systemic reasons. It's not just, um, we cannot assume that it will be the same as people in the medieval ages felt when something else was, was destroyed that is similar. So that's the most difficult part uh, that I feel we have to to explore and express in a believable manner in our podcast. Not describing how the universe itself that we're describing has has um, has changed, but how the people react to those changes uh, from from an internal perspective. Mm. All right. With that question out of the way, we are now going to transition to our rapid fire round. There is three of you. This might not be as rapid as we're normally used to, but <laughs> we always start off with the same question. Uh, my wife really wants to know, is cereal a soup? Yes. <laughs> Antonis. I don't know. I don't... Cereal killer is cannot be a soup. Mike. <laughs> uh, no, uh, milk is a sauce. <laughs> Wait, so does that make cereal pasta? Cereal, cereal is best. Cereal is best when uh, the milk is treated as a sauce. Keep it crunchy. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what have you all been playing recently? Diablo oh, is directed. Oh, okay. Puzzles. My electronic okay. drum set. Oh, and ukulele. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm all playing right. the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> all right daniel hit him what is your favorite shitty disaster movie <laughs> um geostorm and my friend and i made we dared each other oh, to say God. at the ticket window um geo hell we would like two tickets to geo hell please <laughs> uh, i mean disaster mm. it's difficult armageddon um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's of the song. One. It's like the, the script. Talks, but, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just thinking of the whole concept, it's like um, Steve Tyler is singing kind of a, a, a very romantic ballad, seeing his daughter. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Making out with another. Whole, like, whole thing how, is how do you... Hmm. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yep. So I can... Uh, Courtney, what is your rapid fire question? So on the flip side of that, what is your least favorite apocalyptic book or game or movie? Knowing. Knowing Nicholas Cage. That was just one I could think is of. Is that the one with the trees? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's the happening. <laughs> the happening so it's the one with the, with the coordinates. I haven't seen that yeah. one. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I know what you're it, talking about. It's pretty about. bad. <laughs> Sharknado. Sharknado. <laughs> oh man, I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. It's but it, at least it's kind of fun though. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I do it's enjoy B movies, but this is like a Omega movie. <laughs> yeah. There. Wow. Mike, on the spot. yeah, I might have answered. I might have answered these backwards, uh, saying like Deep Impact <laughs> is a movie I actually enjoyed, but Armageddon was not. So. Was the bad one? Okay. Oh my! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, Hot take. Uh, and w one more. Well, kind of. Uh, plug someone who is not your own podcast who you think sh sh people should go and see. What, see or listen? 
listen, consume, whatever. Someone else who's not you, who you're like, more people deserve to know about this. What a Time to Be Alive podcast with Kath Barbadoro, Pat Monahan, and Eli Uden. Oh, man. That was a plug on tap. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, who you got? Uh, I got to say uh, Zachary Davis and Writ Large. And part of that is that I'm recording from his studio right now. So, um, But oh. also, honestly, the, po- the podcast is fantastic. What's the podcast? It's called Writ Large. Writ Large. All right. And Antonis. So... Uh, Lord of the Rings is back into podcast, into audiobook version, and now the new version is read by Andy Serkis. I cannot imagine oh, it better. Really? Wow. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Wow. So that is incredible. Wow. And finally, tell everyone where they can find your podcast and your socials and all that good stuff. In the future. <laughs> <laughs> Well, technically, uh, web, yes, yeah. because by the time this comes out, it will be the future from That's where true. we are now. That's right. So, no, our, the, the website is futurediaries.show, and you can find the podcast there or on any of the other major podcasting platforms, wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. Oh, my. Uh, what about you guys? Do you have anything that you have to plug for yourselves? You can follow me on Twitter, Caitlin Greller. You can follow me too. It's Antonis. It's Antonis. And Mike, do you want to plug anything else? Uh, uh, Not I would at just all. Say, okay. I would just say stay tuned. I, I've got some things in the works, but nothing to announce right now. So. Excellent. Uh, interesting. All right. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been really fun, really great conversation. Uh, and yeah. Thank you. It's been our yeah. pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, it's been a real pleasure. And we're back. Uh, that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, lots of uh, talks about sci-fi. Daniel, you must have really enjoyed yourself. Yeah, I haven't. The only other show that I've seen that's similar to that is called Flash Forward, where they show a little bit of a preview of a potential universe and then discuss it. But what's interesting about this one is that they have a particularly like utopian vision, like a very mm-hmm. specific mor- a moral goal you know, with respect to what they're doing. Yeah, but I think what I like about the podcast as well is that, as you would often say, uh, you don't want your settings or your message to hit you over the head like a two by four. And I think that what their show does really well is just show like a utopic vision for the future or like a, a it shows an aspect of world building through the lens of climate change, but it does so without being like, hey, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and like elbowing you in the side about it, you know? Right. I just, I say that, I mean that in a positive way when I say moralistic. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really love the focus on climate change since that's, that's definitely a major interest of mine. And um, it's, it's refreshing to see it being talked about in this way from the point of view of like people who don't really exist yet or um, exist in different universes um, is really fascinating. Absolutely. Also, I, I don't know if you could tell, but like <laughs> everyone was so excited to get that world building so jam excited. session. And I'm like, this is this is one of my favorite things about the world building jam session is that everyone's like, yes, like ready. You can tell they're writers too. So they're like, oh, I'm so ready. Chomping right. at the bit to get at it. It's so good. <laughs> I love the uh, direction that we went in. What was it like medieval through a seventies lens? Yeah. And 
but yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of Dragon Slayer for some reason, although mm-hmm. I think that might be 80s, but still, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to Zardoz like I was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And, and, and with that, I think that'll do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Uh, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com and click on the little button that says submit prompt. You can tell us what you want us to build and we will do it for you as long as it's not creepy or gross. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build. Or if you want to follow us on Discord, or if you're feeling particularly generous and want to give us money on Patreon, you can do so with a link for those in the description of the episode. That'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together until next week. Mm-hmm.